Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 646. If you really love what to do and you really have a passion for it, stick with it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am so revved up and excited to introduce today's very special guest, Philip Caggiano. Philip, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. All right. Great to have you here. Philip Caggiano is an automotive designer who combines his passion for luxury and collectible automobiles with his love of creating custom furniture where good design is the common thread. He's a designer, a fabricator, and the president of his design firm in Westchester, New York. In addition to building custom cars and individualizing supercars, Philip is a multidisciplined designer. He's an artisan, an engineer, and fabricator who's mastered old-world craftsmanship in the construction of his contemporary furniture, where he holds multiple patents. He has refurbished classic cars. He's worked for Ferrari, Porsche, and BMW, helping in their motorsports teams. And you'll find him published in numerous magazines from Sports Car Market to Cavallino and the recipient of many design awards. I'm so excited to uh, present Philip to you listeners today. I love what this guy does. I think you're going to like it too. So, Philip, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment before we get into the questions and share a little bit more about your career, your business, and, of course, that passion for automobiles? Absolutely. Mark, thanks again. I started my professional career with automotive back in the early 1990s as a car customizer and a custom car builder, primarily, you know, working on Ferrari Testarossas and, you know, Porsche 9, 911s and all of that. And as I transitioned into doing it as a professional career and entrepreneur, I focused primarily on the European and supercar industry by creating high-performance products to make these cars faster, uh, mostly for competitive racing in sanctions all over the world, but also for customers that just wanted to go fast and have something that you know their other clients and friends didn't have. Mm-hmm. So with that, over the years, being immersed in working in these multimillion-dollar cars and you know restoring one-of-a-kind vintage cars, I've taken all of that skill and all of that passion, and I have now transpired it into bespoke automotive-inspired furniture, furniture that is constructed of the same carbon fiber that's used in the Lamborghini Aventador, 
stainless steel exhaust pipes that are used in Formula One cars. And taking all of the characteristics of unique cars that inspire me mm-hmm. and now channeling it into an entirely different industry altogether. Yeah. So basically, you could have your automotive passion, not just with die-cast models or just having 50 cars in a car collection. Now you could actually do it in a very luxurious way for your home, your office, or your public environment space. Yeah. So it, I'm doing something that's very, very unique. Everything's handmade in America. Most of it's done in New York City in my studio. And I'm, I'm just doing something that I'm really, really passionate about because people have always said you can't do it. <laughs> and coming from that, you know, whenever somebody challenges me, yeah. that's what pushes me even further to go further and further and, and make sure I can succeed in doing that. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a very interesting journey. And uh, it's great because I'm still immersed with the car clientele, but I'm also branching out into working with OEMs and major manufacturers as far as bringing my skill set and my product line and joining it with their brand DNA so they could use it for, for their brand awareness for trade shows and their public events. Yeah, I'll tell our listeners, when I found out about Philip, I got so excited because uh, I love a good design. I'm a huge car guy, as my listeners know, and Philip's a guy that's combined these two things into some really, really, really cool stuff. So we're going to learn a lot more about you and what you do as we move through this journey. But first, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a nice way to get those inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Philip, take the wheel. Well, I would say one of the the quotes would probably be, you know, one of my icons and inspirations would be Carroll Shelby. And uh, one of his quotes was like, what's your favorite car? And I've always said the next one. Yeah. And that's like the same thing with, you know, cars that I've collected and cars that I've built and furniture pieces that I've created. You know, once you finish that one project and you finish and you get that gratification, the next challenge is always what's inspiring and what always keeps those gears turning because now it's like, okay, now you've, you've mastered this. Take that to the next level. Yeah. Same thing with a car, you know? Yeah. And you can spend three years building a car and then uh, you give it back to the client and they win a, you know, a, you know, an esteemed Concours event with that car. You know, that's the best gratification you can get. Now it's like, okay, let's do it again, but let's do it even harder and better. Absolutely. Yeah, Carol Shelby, some great, great quotes from a guy who definitely didn't step away from a challenge and was always looking down the road, down the racetrack for something very new. Great. I love that. Exactly. When we were talking in our pre-show chat, you talked about being a little kid with his Matchbox cars, just like me, uh, customizing bicycles and things. Let's go back and have you share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment as you remember it when you really realized that you indeed were a car guy? I mean, if we go back, you know, we look at, you know, old family photos when I was growing up. I mean, there's photos of me at the age of like one and a half years old where I would be crying. But if I was inside any of my pedal cars, I was smiling. <laughs> and my my parents have said, you were born a car freak. Yeah. They, they said it. They said you were just born for it. And it's true. Like, I've you know, throughout my whole life, whether it was, you know, Matchbox cars customizing at five years old and selling them in kindergarten to, you know, the RC car industry. And then... As I got older, you know, my father used to collect a lot of classic cars, but he's not a hands-on type of guy. As I got older and become, you know, better with hand tools, that's where I started tinkering, and I just progressed and honed my skills up to where I am today that I've pretty much mastered every level of fabrication and, you know, hands-on work. Yeah. So I heard you say pedal cars. So you had a car collection at one and a half years old. That's pretty hilarious. Yeah, it's like my, my parents, I, I have photos of me inside the pedal car, smiling ear to ear. As soon as she took me out of the car, my parents said, you would, you would just not stop crying. 
I'll have to share a picture with you I have of myself as one years old sitting in a garden Cadillac that my mom got from my uncle for me. And, uh, yeah, she said she couldn't take me out of that thing. I used to sit in there and just pedal all around the, around the neighborhood. So <laughs> I think we share the same affliction, my friend. Well, Philip, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You're a serial entrepreneur. You've been involved in a lot of different things. I'd love for you to share a huge challenge or a big failure that you faced along the way. And of course, the most important part of these types of things have to do with what did it teach you so you can move forward and improve? So take us through a painful time. Walk us through that and tell us what you learned. Sure. I would, um, I would, I definitely clearly remember this two times in my professional career. One of them was, of course, after the September 11 tragedy, which I know being in New York City and most of my client base at the time was in the New York City, Wall Street area. And that really changed the global economy as far as how people were spending their money on luxury. Yep. And at the time, you know, I had, a, you know, had the big shop. I had a massive overhead. I mean, we were advertising every month in the Rob Report, Cigar Aficionado, the DuPont Registry. So our advertising campaigns were, you know, 50000 $60,000 a month. And all of a sudden, that day, basically almost turned the lights off on the business. Oh, yeah. And it was one of those things where it's like, what do you do now? You know, how do you stay in the game? How do you still do what you love to do? And believe it or not, I started tinkering with the furniture idea back then, you know, just as a hobby, just as something new, I developed a collection of Ferrari-inspired furniture. I have Catalina lamps, tables, bookends, and I was selling those as just pretty much high-end gifts to people around the world mm-hmm. and to showrooms all over the country. And, you know, time and time again, it took, me, it took me about a year and a half to two years of struggling, losing almost all of my wealth to figure out a way, how am I going to bounce back into this game? And what I did is I said, you know what, having the shop and having all the overhead didn't really make sense anymore. So I took a particular service that I was really good at, and I just focused on that one service, and that was computer programming. I'm an electronics engineer. I've been you know, immersed in electronics since I was seven years old. So primarily, one of the services that we specialized in was the software programming of the engine and transmission control module. Mm. And we would do stuff for professional motorsports teams. You know, we had contracts for Rolex, for Grand Am, for the American Le Mans series, and uh, either or. So I said, let me focus on that for the retail market and the motorsports market. And within a year and a half, I literally bounced back tenfold. Wow. So it's one of those things where if things don't go the way you want, there's always going to be something that you could pull out of that and you learn from it. And in my case, it was reducing the overhead reducing your business model and changing it just a little bit. And then you kind of could shift gears and go in a different direction, but you're still in the game. And I think that that holds true with anything in business because, you know, we're in a very, very competitive world right now, especially with the internet and, and everybody else. So the motto is from a big client of mine always told me, he goes, Phil, when someone's always going to be competitive to you and someone's always going to have more money to put into it than you are, that's when you have to stop it, change it, or do something else altogether. And I believe in that. I totally believe in that. That's a business model. And the same thing happened, you know, when our world went into a giant recession, you know, six years ago. Yep. Yeah, how do you stay in the game? You know, a lot of my client base went out of business. Lamborghini dealers, Ferrari dealers, all over the world, they were going bankrupt. And, and I says, how do we stay in the game? And uh, that, that's always a challenge with 
the way the world economy is now is how do you stay in the game and still do something that you're passionate and love, you know? Yeah, boy, that is the key question. Well, classic pivot stories, if anything, that I get out of this this lesson. So I think the takeaway I hear you saying is always keep your head up looking around for other opportunities and don't give up. And sometimes, and sometimes that opportunity is right under your nose, but it takes you time to figure it out, you know? Well, you know what? When, when and I go through it, and I've been through it many times, and people I know have gone through it. In life, when business or your career doesn't work out, people run into a, what they call a panic state. You yeah. know, where you just don't know what you're going to do. But give it time, and over time, you just focus, get out of that panic state, and eventually, you will find where you need to be. Yeah. And you know, I believe in that because some people right away they panic and they freak out, and then they they turn to alcohol or they turn to drugs. But just stay busy doing what you love. You know, like in my case, it's working on cars, building cars, racing cars, or or just building something. If you do that and you you change that emotional state, eventually you will find where you really, you know, need to be. And, And sometimes it's right under your nose. Absolutely. Great advice. Let's shift gears, Philip, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call one of those career aha moments. You've had many pivots. You just shared some of those. So take us to a time where you had a epiphany. Those headlights come on and kind of illuminate a new path for you. And tell us how you turned that aha moment into a success. I got to say it was, you know, back, uh, you know, when we transitioned the business into, you know, focusing on the software engineering of the company. Because my whole business mantra was always making these cars faster, no matter what it was. Reducing the weight, customizing the internals of the engines. And, you know, people like the heads of Ferrari would look at me with like a sour face, like, how are you doing this, mm-hmm. you know, to these hand cars? But when I started doing it, and I did it for clients and I did it for race teams and I get the phone call on the weekend or at three in the morning, Phil, we ran two seconds faster a lap with what <laughs> you did for us. Wow. We won the race. So so right there, when I saw my expertise and what I was able to produce, that's the biggest gratification in the world. Mm-hmm. And you know, when when you're doing something that you really love and you love the result, it's not work. Yes. You know, it, it's almost like you enjoy doing what you do. So yeah. You know, and and it just compounded, and even still to this day, you know, when I when I'm still involved in the automotive engineering, and I get these phone calls from around the world, and they're like, I can't believe you were able to pull that off. So, <laughs> and it's really it's really interesting now. I, I started doing another challenging thing where a lot of Ferrari clients are starting to convert their cars from a paddle shift transmission to a gated six speed manual. Yeah, and yeah. I've developed a proprietary software method of going in there and doing that electronically with the components and the hardware to make it work. Oh, cool. So I literally just started doing it about two months ago, and I'm getting clients from around the world contacting me every day. Oh, how cool. How cool. Wow. Very, very nice. Very cool. Yeah, you are having some fun. Let's talk about a proudest business moment. I would assume you've had many because of all the different things you're involved in, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? Being that I'm, you know, I'm immersed in the furniture industry now, and I am, like I said earlier, I'm considered the biggest outsider just because my background doesn't overlap with what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. So I would have to say when I did my first public presentation of some of my furniture pieces in New York City about eight years ago in front of thousands and thousands of the most critical, critical people, and to get the positive feedback saying, you're doing your work is incredible mm. to me. That was probably one of the greatest things ever coming from a different industry, not knowing if I would be accepted for what I'm doing and then actually throw it out there in the public 
and get that praise and get that recognition that that was just second to none. I'll never forget that those days oh, when I God. did the, you know, the, yeah. the events in New York City. So <laughs> even today, like, you know, like we did the event a couple of days ago in New York City at the new museum and they used uh, my carbon fiber F1 chair. And I get the contact back to like, Philip, people were going crazy for that chair. Nice. And now these are people that are, you know, really, really into the architectural or interior design industry. Right. And they have no knowledge of automotive. And for them to still accept it and love it, to right. me, that's great. Congratulations for that. That's very cool. It's difficult to get accepted into industries that are very niche-oriented, and especially, my goodness, in a city like New York City or London or Paris, where people have these attitudes of, well, you have to be this in order to be that. Oh, I agree with you. They, You've broken that mold. I would have these you know, real eccentric, arrogant gallery owners say, oh, you didn't go to Yale, and you didn't go to Pratt. And I think it doesn't matter, because half of those people that come out of those schools don't have the hands-on background that I've had. They have never faced the challenges and this and that. So take it from me, like, you know, you can build a piece of furniture. There's not, there's not a lot of liability in building a chair, okay? Right, right. When you're working on a multi-million dollar race car, there's <laughs> yeah. a substantial amount of liability involved uh, if something yeah. goes wrong. Absolutely. So I take that same ideology and same work ethic, and I apply it to everything. So all of my furniture is so over-engineered, you know, between doing finite analysis testing on the, on the materials and stress testing and all of that, and coming out of Pratt or Yale, or they're not going to understand that because no. they've never had the opportunity to work no experience. You know, on professional yeah. race cars before. So, so experience, experience. So the experience level that I have and, and the background that I have is really second to none. You know, going into a completely different industry, and now I'm starting to get the acceptance where people are contacting me to do you know special projects and one-off things because of my expertise in manufacturing and material sourcing. Right. I think it's a wonderful testament for those listeners out there that have a skill set in one area to kind of stick their head up and look around and go, how could I apply this over here, over here, over here, or more importantly, into an arena where I am very passionate, in this case, cars, yeah, with cars. So brilliant story. Exactly. I love it. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here and go back in time. I would love for you to share a story about your first really special car and share a memory you have with that vehicle. I've had so many cars over the years, um, probably over 50. I would say, you know, as a young, successful entrepreneur, you know, there was always those cars you always wanted when you were a kid, you know, the Ferrari, Testarossa, Lamborghini, Countach. You know, and then, I, you know, as the 90s came on, I'll never forget this, picking up motor trend, in 1995, Jaguar released the Jaguar XJR sedan. It was considered the super sedan of the time, you know? Right. Four-liter V8 supercharged motor and, you know, really, really, really cool car. And I never forget, my friends and I would always talk like, oh, one day we got to get one of those cars. And I'll never forget, 2001, I ended up buying my first, you know, my first Jaguar XJR. Oh, wow. And at a very young age, I think I was, you know, 22 years old. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so not only that, when I walked into Jaguar in, in New York City, the salesman looked at me like I was crazy, like, you're a young kid. I'm like, no, I'm here to buy that car. Yeah, what are you doing here, kid? Get out of my showroom. So that was like a really cool moment that was like, hey, you know what? I didn't go into investment banking as a career. I followed my passion with cars. I stuck through some hard times, and I became successful enough that that was like almost a symbol of like, you know what? You've actually achieved it, and I'll never forget the story when I first bought that car. Uh, a couple of days later, I was driving out to the Hamptons in New York. And prior to that car, I had a Volvo. It was an 850R, which okay. was the sedan that was a turbo. Yeah. And I heavily modified it. 
And I sold the car to a guy that owned a restaurant in New York City. And I'll never forget this. I'm driving over the Whitestone Bridge going to Long Island at the toll plaza, and the guy that I sold my Volvo to pulls up in the next lane beside me, <laughs> and he looks at me, and he rolls the window down, and he goes, damn, you really upgraded. <laughs> <laughs> I think you say he said, we're going for pinks, and he blew you away because of the modifications no, you made on his like, car. It, it was just great how I went from you know that car yeah. to like a $90,000 car, and it was like, wow, you really upgraded. And I'm like, yeah, because like, I'm, you know, I'm doing the right thing, I guess. Uh, yeah, so just that, that, was, that, was a, that was a fun moment. Uh, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a car you've let go that you really wish you had back in the garage? Absolutely. My 1993 Mercedes-Benz 500E. Mm. Uh, the reason that car <laughs> is really special to me is because when I was growing up, those are the cars we were customizing. Those are the cars we were working on for big CEOs you know, in Manhattan. And that car really was such a unique car because it was built at the Porsche factory. Yeah. had the wider body. You know, It had the Recaro seats. And it was just such a unique car for its time. Yeah. And over the years, I always wanted one. But, you know, going back, you know, even in the 90s, that car was like $90,000. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it, was pretty much un- it was pretty much not attainable. So a number of years ago, I found one in, in North Carolina. A uh, big car collector had one in Greensboro. And I bought the car. And the reason I bought that car, it was the color that I wanted, which was the gunmetal gray. It had the AMG wheels. It had a period-correct Lorenzo exhaust. It was lowered. It just looked exactly as if we built that car in our old shop in the early 90s. So it was really interesting. So I bought the car. I drove it for a number of months. And I was working on another project that I didn't have the garage space at the time because I was restoring another car. So I was at the point where I really didn't want to leave that car outside. And I didn't want to pay storage in in a facility that wasn't under my roof. Yeah. So I threw it on eBay. I had a fellow from San Francisco offer me a lot of money for the car, and I sold it. And ever since then, I've regretted it because I've been looking for another one to replace for the last three years. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you know, those cars were so special. I I really uh, lusted after those as well. I was at the uh, Porsche factory in the mid-'90s and remember getting taken down into the basement of a building where there was a bunch of those sitting there, and Porsche was putting the engines, transmissions that they were building into those cars for Mercedes and then shipping them back. And, uh, oh, my gosh, those were power beasts. They were just – I mean, you know what it was? It was an interesting project because – they took the big motor from the SL, they threw it into the mid-sized chassis. But, you know, the car itself was a very, very well-engineered car for its day. When you think about it, you know, they, they really stretched the body. There was, you know, the body was very strong. It was built like a tank. Whereas the newer Mercedes-Benzes today, they're not built to that level anymore. I don't think they could because it would cost too much. Right. So the newer, the newer cars have a lot of plastic, a lot of cheaper materials. When you close the door, you don't get that solid, you know, vault-like feel anymore. <laughs> that wonderful thunking sound, yeah. So I, I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, when I had that car, I went to an event. Um, it's a really good Concord car gathering up here in New Canaan, Connecticut, called Caffeine and Carburetors. And I remember I rolled up into that event, and Road & Track Magazine was there. And they were photographing my car, and they put it in their magazine. Oh wow! Because it was a throwback. It was a throwback comparing that model to the current AMGs, uh. and they went they went crazy for the car. The, the announcer made an announcement. He goes, "We have a very rare Mercedes Porsche built car here today." And it was just such a cool feeling that you oh, know yeah. people still appreciate that car. Yeah. Well, keep your eyes open. They're out there. You'll find one. You'll get one back in your garage and uh, be able to relive that passion. Let's talk about today and tomorrow. What are you working on right now that has you really excited and fired up? 
Uh, right now, as far as, as, far as uh, some new furniture pieces I'm designing, getting more involved with carbon fiber and uh, some more exciting materials where we're pretty much trying to target a new market now where I want to start doing stuff specifically for brands, other automotive brands, where we could create, let's say Mercedes-AMG is going to do an event for a new launch. We want to create carbon fiber chairs that resemble their chairs of like the new AMG GTS. Mm. So we're doing some new tooling changes and we're just playing around with some new ideas and how to incorporate that for that new market we're trying to penetrate. Yeah. So I, I'm focusing more on the business-to-business with the furniture now rather than business-to-consumer. Just because I'm more involved with moving volume, I want to do more production. Yeah. And when you're doing business-to-consumer, you'll sell one chair, two chairs. But now I'm bidding jobs where people are contacting for 18 chairs, 24 yeah. chairs. So, so the growth could take something from a small business now and, and substantially grow it to get the brand out there and do more volume. And, and the volume is where I, what I really like is because that's the manufacturing expertise that I have. And then, you know, working all the logistics and getting the quality control down, to me, that's challenging. And that's what I love to do. Well, and by increasing that volume, you can start to make things a little more affordable to the average buyer down the road. Exactly. And, and, the, and the one thing is, is I, I always want to keep the manufacturing domestic. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer of, you know, keeping this economy strong and just keeping all go. the manufacturing domestic. Awesome. Yeah. That, is, that to me is the, is the most important thing. And I, I hold that very close to my heart in everything I do and everything that I buy, even like tools that I buy for my shop. So that's important. So, you know, I'm working on that. And also I'm planning another custom car build for myself, uh, a 66 Mustang GT350. Ooh. But I'm going to do more of a custom, more of like a resto mod on that, uh-huh. where I'm going to take a 5.2 liter Coyote motor from the new GT350R. Ooh. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to adapt an eight stack throttle body injection to it. Uh, nice. <laughs> I've already been in, in negotiations and talks with friends of mine at Roush Yates NASCAR to figure that out and how to get the tuning properly and yeah. a couple of other, my you know, my industry resources. So that's going to be really a real exciting project for me because, oh, uh, you know, I still have a passion for the older cars versus the newer cars. I mean, the newer cars are great, yeah. but you kind of expect them to be great for, you know, the way technology has progressed. Of course. So if you could, if you could take some of that technology and adapt it into a vintage car and really enjoy that car. I mean, hey, that's the best of both worlds, I think. Oh, gosh. Well, you got to keep me abreast of that build as it comes along to fruition so that uh, I can see what you're up to. Sounds fantastic. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Philip. If Philip was a car, what kind of car would Philip be and why? Hmm. I would say a Lamborghini Miura SV. Ooh, <laughs> nice. And why is that? I have a real soft spot for that car for many reasons. Number one, oh, yeah. the story which executed that car, yeah. uh, you know, through that little bit of a spout with Enzo Ferrari and Leverkusen. Yeah. And uh, I, I still think it's one of the best designed Italian sports cars still to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everything about that car is really unique. It's a little eccentric. It's a little bit... You know, there's a lot of things about that car that aren't perfect. You know, of course, the way the engine was mounted sideways, uh, the interior is really cramped. And there's just a lot of things about the car that make, you know, I, I would say they're quirks, but they're cool quirks. Yeah. They make you have a real unique individuality. And I think that's a lot about my character. You know, like, there's a lot of things about me that are very unique that I come across as, you know, hey, nobody would really understand who Philip Cassiano really is until they, like, they get to know me and know my background and know, hey, he's got a little bit of quirks, but he's, he's got some really unique stuff about him, that, and he's doing some cool stuff. Uh, yeah. I would say that that car would really sum it all up. 
Oh gosh, that Gandini design. Oh man, it's just a rolling work of delight. It is. And it's funny. There was, um, you know, like something like that. It, it, I, I look at the Lamborghini Miura as a piece of sculptural art. Mm-hmm. It's a car that I would love to have in my living room. Not sure if I would really want to drive it around New York City. <laughs> no, probably not New York, but definitely up to the Hamptons. <laughs> exactly, but it's just one of those cars where, you know, they're not the easiest cars to work on. They're not the easiest cars to get parts for. You know, they yeah. have overheating issues and electrical issues and all of that, but it's one of those things where you have to take the good with the bad, and the car is timeless. Everything about that design is timeless, and yeah. I actually have the idea in my head to use some of the design cues of that car and applying it to some new furniture in the near future. I'm looking forward to that. I Oh, man, now my imagination is spinning with the, the beautiful eyelashes on the headlight and the way that the door, exactly. the upper part of the B-pillar on the door, and the way the pieces of the car open up. I You know, I just was in heaven this past summer at the Quail and at Contorso Italiano, where they had exactly. all those mirrors set up. I mean, oh, my gosh, it's just... Ah, yeah. Well, you picked you a good really, one. <laughs> you know what's really interesting? You know, a lot of the American cars, you know, took a lot of the influence and design from, you know, from the Italian cars and foreign cars. But mm-hmm. when I look at the Miura, it's really interesting because I have a 70 Mach 1 Mustang that's a custom pro-touring car. Mm-hmm. And you you look at the way that back window slopes down, and you look at the Miura, and I see a lot of similarities there. Yes. And I also see a lot of similarities with the Mach 1 that had the gunmetal, really wide rocker moldings. Yeah. And the Miura SV that had the gunmetal gray on the bottom. Oh, yeah. And, and also the window louvers. Yep. You know, so, so you, you think about that and you're like, you know what? That car, I know for a fact, had to influence people at Ford. Oh, yeah. In the 69, 70. Of course. They had to be. Yeah, of course. And, and you know, like I said, a, a true car guy really would pick that up immediately. And I remember when, it, when the Miura started really coming on my radar a long time ago, I said, yeah, I, I just see those similarities. And, and of course, the Miura is, you know, more, beautiful and it hands down but yeah you, know, you can't really compare a three million dollar car today to uh you know an eighty thousand dollar car today so. well no no and not even at the time but uh wow well great answer to that uh very unique question well philip up next is the last lap but before we put the pedal to the metal let's say thank you to today's cars yeah sponsors if you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over congratulations you're ahead of most people But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier Plush and Berber Custom Floor Mats, you'll also find Cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes, 
with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Market Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Okay, Philip, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Sure. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Pretty much when you do something automotive, do it the best you possibly can do it. So it never comes back in the end. <laughs> yes. Basically, do, do it to the highest level so you can be proud of it. Now, how about a personal habit? Would you share one that you believe has helped contribute to your success? It is. It's probably um, my criticism of myself and always striving for perfection. There you go. Sounds like that quote from Sir Henry Rolls-Royce. Now, how about a resource? There's lots of great resources out there, but is there one in particular you could share? You know what? There's there's one believe it or not, there's one website that I you know web forums are real real finicky. There's a lot of uh, cutthroat people on some of the forums, but there's <laughs> yeah. one there's one website dedicated to hot rods and custom cars. You know, vintage customs and stuff. It's called the Jalopy Journal. Uh, JalopyJournal.com. The reason I love that website is because people on there are real. You'll never see stouts between members. You'll never see fights and, and abuse. It's always about Real old school car guys helping other car guys with the passion. Yeah. And it could be something simple as setting up a magneto on an old hot rod or, you know, an Arden, you know, flathead V8 or anything crazy like that. You could go on there and not be criticized or mocked for asking a simple question. Right. And these guys come from all over the United States, these old hardcore guys, and, and they will talk to you and they will help you. And, and I love that because when you go on to like forums for a Porsche or or Mercedes-Benz, you get these young kids where they start fights and fights and fights between vendors, and it gets to the point where it becomes not enjoyable anymore. Right, yeah. So yeah. I think I, I've, been, you know, I've been around this for many years, and I never participated in forums just because of the, the bias and the abuse that goes on there socially, but the Jalopy Journal has to be one of the best automotive forums for hot rods and customs that I've ever been on, and people respect you. So I would say that would be the resource. There you go. Yeah, it is a great resource. Absolutely. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read recently that you'd like to share? Well, I'm in my showroom now, and I have a lot of automotive books here. And one of my favorites would probably be The Cobra Story by Carol Shelby. Ah, yeah. Very nice. Absolutely. Well, that's a great book. And I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these great resources Phillips has shared with us today. Philip has shared with us today at carsyad.com slash Philip Caggiano. And Philip's last name is spelled C-A-G-G-I-A-N-O. And there's another great place on the Carsyad website called Guest Recommended Books, where this book and all the past 645 guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. It's a great resource for finding some awesome books recommended by some fantastic people. All right, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, Philip, but don't worry about the price because today I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that vehicle be and why? Oh, I know that one real easily. <laughs> There's a, I, have a, I have a really nice die-cast model of it sitting on my Cavalino table in my office right oh, now. Okay. It would, be the, it would be the Ferrari 250 GTO. Oh, okay. Well, um, of course, you picked the most expensive car on the planet. And uh, as we, as, as those of us in the industry know, there's a blue one that's coming up 
fact, it's for sale. I know. Right? I just saw the you have the blog this morning. They're saying it may go for sixty million. Sixty million. So that's all I need to do is come up with sixty million, and I can take that. I can deliver that Ferrari right to your your studio. So I'd be happy to do that for you today if you don't mind having a blue one. Exactly. But you know, <laughs> you know, you know what really um, inspires me about that car or any of those cars from that era. Of course, it's at first is the design. Yeah, the design of the car is just absolutely amazing. The proportions, everything about the car. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. The model of it, scale model of it, it's just perfect. Yeah. And when I mean perfect, you know, like there's a lot of cars where you look at certain angles and it looks great, and then you may look at the nose and it may not look so good or the back. But this car looks perfect at every angle, and that's that's my artistic designer coming out of me now, not yes. the automotive guy. So yeah. just coming at it from that. From a sculptural perspective, it's awesome. Then you take into consideration my fabricated my, my fabrication side of me. These cars were built by hand. They would take raw sheets of aluminum with a wooden body buck, and they were hammered and rolled and brazed into pieces of art. Yeah. So you take that into consideration, and that's old-world craftsmanship. So combine that with the design, the old-world craftsmanship, then the racing pedigree. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's one of the most coveted cars, if not the most coveted car in the world. So yeah. that is, you know, the Ferrari brand itself is probably, you know, one of my favorite mystique brands. I just love everything about the history of Ferrari, uh, the racing pedigree and their success. But that 250 GTO, that's uh, by far the car that I would own. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's magical. Absolutely. Well, Philip, you have taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed learning more about you and your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Out listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you head up north to the Hamptons in your Ferrari 250 GTO? <laughs> I don't pretty much just tell anybody, you know, regarding business. You know, there, I, I get contacted by a lot of students that they want to intern for me or they say, hey, you know, it would be my dream to do what you've done, you know, with cars and with design. So I pretty much tell anyone, if you really love what to do when you really have a passion for it, stick with it. Because I didn't go to automotive design school. I didn't go to art school. I went to school to be an investment banker. But you know what? I chose a path that I wanted to choose, not my family, not my friends. Yeah. And I've had a lot of fun along the way. I've done things that most kids growing up would only dream of, mm-hmm. you know, racing some of the most amazing cars, working on some of the most amazing, and, you know, creating products. Uh, just everything. There's just been so much passion that has just compounded year after year after year. And now the fact that I'm considered the ultimate outsider as a furniture designer and architectural designer, and to get that acceptance and kind of branching it out, anything's possible. You just have to hammer it down and stick with it. Just stick with it. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing? My classic car website they could go on is uh, www.acsgarage.com. That will just showcase some of the cars in my collection and some of the services that I've done over the years. And then uh, my furniture collection can be viewed at www.philipcaggiano.com. All right, great. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to these websites on Philip's show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Philip, P-H-I-L-I-P, into that search bar. That page will pop up. I would encourage you to check out what he's up to because I think you're going to find, like me, really exciting, fantastic stuff. You're going to get so fired up and juiced up. The way he's combined his passion for cars into his furniture design and everything he touches, this is awesome. So, Philip, 
Thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences. That was a pleasure. I was looking forward to you. You and I have been <laughs> talking for a while. And I know. Schedule and your, our schedule has been so crazy. Uh, I'm really glad we got to do this. Well, I've been chasing you for a long time, so I'm so glad we finally got together. And uh, until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Great, Mark. Thanks again. Have a great day. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.